If you use the standardized deduction and you're not over the deduction limits, that gift that you actually ran through the business is going to be carried over to your personal return. You're not getting a tax benefit. Welcome to Fit Wealth You. I'm your host, Amanda Hanquist. I've spent years in the trenches of entrepreneurship, learning the ins and outs of financial success. Now I'm here to share with you the financial strategies of building your wealth, but also because it's important to retire healthy so you can actually enjoy your wealth. Each episode includes a health segment featuring the industry leaders in health and wellness. So subscribe now and stay tuned. May you build your wealth empire and stay fit too. This is Fit Wealth You. John and I back at it again. Just had our Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah, um, pretty low key. Sean has been elbow deep in bleaching deer heads. Oh yeah, um, that has been quite the project. <laughs> it's been quite the. I didn't maybe all the meetings, tax planning that I've had. I don't know, but no. Um, deer season went well for the family, and I uh, ended up getting hunters um, European mount done, and everybody thought it was really cool. So now I am, you know, did Hudson's European, and then redid something from last year we hadn't done yet, and now it's just a whole process. And we discovered uh, that, okay, so in 2020, when the world was shut down, I had bought hair bleach. Mm. I never act- actually ended up, I was too nervous. I never actually ended up doing my hair, but it, <laughs> it came in handy three years later. Yes. <laughs> uh, typically I've just used bleach and I just haven't been happy with it. And we use this hair product. Yeah. Um, it's actually like super white and looks so awesome. So <laughs> the kids the have been happy. Daddy. It is the Mac Daddy hair product, so it better work. <laughs> yeah, and then so Hunter's going to be doing one, making some money for, uh, for um, like our nephew. So um, pretty exciting, uh, but a lot of work. And yeah. uh, it's fun to kind of see the finished project. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. It actually looks really, really good. One of the better ones that I've actually ever seen. So, well, it's kind of so happy. I might, I might have to have you like whiten up mine in my office, maybe a little bit even. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Well, maybe I, I don't, get I don't know if you can after it's said and done. But it doesn't do as good job once it's already yeah. been done, but I'll try. Yeah. Anyway, well, let's talk about holiday charitable giving. So I remember my years as a brick and mortar business owner. So like in 2020, I sold my brick and mortar and it had gone online ever since. Well, I remember, especially this time of year, getting asked a lot, um, or even in January at the beginning of the year when people are kind of setting their budgets and things like that. But um, it's kind of a really good time to get organized and figure out just how much you should be giving or not be giving for charitable mm-hmm. giving, you know, for holiday season specifically, as we are in. So I think anytime we're kind of a local business, we see this more and more, whether, you know, for me, it was, I had a billboard, everybody kind of knew in my area. And so I got asked a lot, Oh, you donated last year. So, um, but with larger businesses, you know, there's boards, there's typically a vote and they, they kind of delegate dollars to certain charities during Mm -hmm. their annual or quarterly meetings. So it's not as if somebody could like 
pick up the phone and call an organ, a big or large organization and say, Hey, can I get a hundred bucks for this or that? They're, they, they, you know, have to go through a process. Mm-hmm. Well, as a small business owner though, I just remember getting hit up all the time and it's like, you feel bad, but I feel like, you know, let's take a business that has less than 15, 20 employees. They don't have a board. They don't have a planned out charitable budget yet. And so I thought, what a really good time to talk about this. And Mm so Sean, I know that you, you know, work a lot with this, but what time or like, at what point are we ready to consider making this as part of our budget? So we aren't left making, you know, last minute sort of emotional decisions, you know, especially financial decisions around the holidays for this. Yeah, no, I think it definitely um, depends on how charitable you are and maybe how ingrained you are into the community to make sure, you know, that's the right fit for you. And, you know, there are so many, it'd be limitless, like if how many options you would have. So I think you definitely need to dial in and pick the charities that you, you know, have a special place in your heart for and set a budget because um, you could all of a sudden get hit up by five or 10 people. And I know it's really hard to say no, especially when you don't have the gatekeeper, you know, like the larger yeah. businesses have the gatekeeper that probably has to go through a system and process. But when you're directly asked and contacted about um, certain organizations and it's not like you don't want to give to them, but it's like, you just don't have a plan. Like, should I be given? Can I be given? Well, uh, then I think it allows you to take that emotion away. Like you don't have to feel guilty or bad by saying mm-hmm. no. You can simply say you know, all of my budget for that particular, you know, all of my funding for that is taken up at this point. Yeah. You know, we, you we, ended up getting, next year. we ended up getting that really dialed in with your brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, it took years of reviewing your, your profit and loss and understanding your profitability and then just setting a budget. Yeah. And then you were pretty much guilt-free, like, Hey, I have these three organizations. This is yeah. the projected amount. And you felt good about that. And well, it really and it set the grounds. Well, and it helps so that when, you know, my assistant would answer the phone, she already knew what to say. So like, she didn't mm-hmm. even have to like, leave me the message for it too. Right. Like it was just a done deal. Right. And the sad thing is, is they're like, for the most part, all great organizations. They are, they are. And, and, and you might have one, especially that, you know, maybe you lost a relative to cancer and you want to make sure right. you're donating to the American Cancer Society or whatever that looks like for you, but you just got hit up by the Special Olympics and the Police Academy and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like so many are amazing organizations, but we really can't donate to all of them. Yeah. And I, so uh, I guess just have a plan uh, and, and put that in a budget item. So when you're doing like next year's planning, usually that happens in December kind of reviewing how everything went, maybe in January, but probably next month, you're going to go through budgets and look at everything, how it's gone for the year. And then maybe set a budget for January and then can help you get through some of those times where you are still feeling like fulfilled uh, for giving, but then, you know, you at least have a plan. Yep. And of course we always want to preface all of these uh, podcasts, letting you know that we are not a CPA and you should always have this conversation with your tax professional. So don't take this as specific tax advice for you. Absolutely. Um, Because I really think in your early years of your brick and mortar, like when you were giving uh, um, money to charity, like it felt really good, but you also felt like, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you're like, well, this is 500 bucks. So that means I got like a $500 tax break. Well, and when you aren't a savvy business owner yet, 
you don't know otherwise. Like mm -hmm. they are going to tell you this is going to be a tax write-off because that's that's a sales pitch for for that organization. Those sure. those organizations have employees to collect funding mm -hmm. and they are armed with these tools to contact business owners for certain objections, just like we are as business owners, right? And so one of those tools in their tool belt is, hey, tax write-off, but right. is it really? Right, so yeah, and that, that just goes back of like the tax write-off versus I think in in the, the entrepreneurs, early entrepreneurs mind or just haven't really gone this route. It's like kind of like a dollar for dollar ratio and it, and it right. doesn't work that way. Right. Um, and then a lot of times it's not even realized that like, sometimes it's not even a write-off. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why like Sean and I were just kind of having a hallway conversation um, about this and it's like, wow, it's really not actually even a write-off. So it's literally just, if I truly want to give out of the goodness of my heart, that's one thing, yep. but know that that's 100% the decision you're making. Absolutely. Um, so number one, you want to make sure that like you're giving it to a nonprofit organization. Uh, a lot of times, most all of them are, but they're going to be a 501c3. So that qualifies it as that's your first checkbox mm -hmm. um, that you're going to get. And then another one, a lot of people miss on this is, did you receive a benefit from the gift? Okay. So like if it was a hundred dollar gift, but then you got like a $50 meal, right? Like a benefit. You or a ticket to, to an event or yeah. something like that. So you'd actually have to tr subtract the value of the benefit. And mm -hmm. so the whole thing would not be as a potential gift. So kind of look at that as, is the benefit is, is there one received? Sure. Um, right. And then another one that gets probably missed the most is to say you give a thousand dollars to a, a charitable organization and that um, even though you put it on your business and you you label it in your your accounting software or whatever as a gift or a donation, you know honestly um, that is how the small business works of pass through entities. It's actually passed through to your personal tax return that gift. And if you use the standardized deduction um, and you're not over the deduction limits, that gift that you actually ran through the business. Is going to be carried over to your personal return and if you're just using a standardized deduction you're not even going to get credit for that gift or i, I shouldn't say that you're getting credit for the gift because you're able to give to the organization but you're not getting a tax benefit right so essentially if you're not able to itemize a tax deduction you're getting no financial tax. return at all right even though you paid for it through your business and thought it was a write-off it's actually gonna it's merely just a charitable donation at that point. Yep, there's, yep. No and it, there's a few more working parts and then your CPA is going to look at that and see charitable donation and it's going to carry it over. And then the standard deduction for a single individual this year is just shy of like $14,000. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember when I had my brick and mortar, I felt like it was quite a bit lower than that for us to itemize. Yeah. So it's always adjusted for inflation. Mm. So over the years, it's going to go up um, each year. So you're saying I'm getting old. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then so married uh, filing jointly, it's it's close to $28,000 as your standard deduction. And all that means is if you make $100,000 and you're married, 
um, almost $28,000 is deducted right off the top as a standard deduction that the government gives you. So then your taxable income in that situation would be what only, um, I have this calculator. I have his calculator oh, yeah. for the BFP. So, he... so, so it'd be like 73,000, give or take, right? <laughs> so if you're married, filing jointly and had $100,000 of taxable income, your standard deductions, 27,7 this year. So your overall taxable income would be 73,000 and you're taxed on 73,000. Well, inside that standard deduction, Amanda started going down the itemization. So once you have a lot of expenses that can be itemized, they might exceed that standard deduction and then you can itemize on your tax return and we've always had pretty high medical expenses too so there was also times when it has made more sense as well so the standard deduction has really increased and less and less people are actually eligible to itemize mm -hmm. it just with the standard um, deductions um, but if you are itemizing some things that go into is like your mortgage interest Mm -hmm. well, medical expenses when it's over a certain percentage of your net income, um, state income and property tax up to a certain limit, and then your gifts. So if you live in a state that doesn't have any state income tax, you don't own your home and you don't have much for medical bills, you literally don't have any itemized expenses. Yeah, really so then itemized then you're going to be utilizing standard deduction. Gotcha. So you'd have to give quite a substantial amount of money to even itemize. So the more that you can give, right? And then when you're a homeowner and you have these expenses, you're going to itemize. So example, let's just say you gifted $30,000, okay? okay? And now you're able to itemize. You're married, filing jointly. It's bigger than the standard deduction. Well, you're able to use that $30,000 gift as an itemization. So if you make that $100,000, now that brings down your taxable income is only $70,000, okay. right? So just uh, something to be aware of is when you're looking at tax planning and giving, maybe you lump your gifts together. Maybe you don't give every year, but you save your money and maybe you only give that amount, but it's a larger amount every third year. So sure. then that way, every year you're maxing out your standard deduction. Mm -hmm. And then one year, you're just lumping these together and giving a big one. Maybe you're giving 30, 40, 50,000. So then you're really benefiting from the itemization of that gift. That makes sense. And then another thing that kind of came to my mind is when we were at one of our events that we traveled to for speaking, they had a sort of a charitable giving at the end of the event. Mm -hmm. And like all of these business owners were stepping up with these wild amounts of donations. Mm -hmm. And Sean was over here sweating bullets because he's, you know, the financial planner, but you are in front of peers. You are in front of expectation or presumed expectation of giving. Right. So what is one, like, what do you suggest doing in that particular situation where you don't want to look like, mm -hmm it's not necessarily a fact of not being able to afford it, but you just don't want to look like a Scrooge, but yet you're sitting here thinking, I know this now, this isn't going to benefit, <laughs> benefit me. And I've already donated to such and such cause earlier this year. Yeah, that is a depends type of question. That's a loaded question. That's unfair. But do, you, do you see what Honestly, I mean? Though, if you're forced a... to make this 
irrational, emotional, plus there's drinks, that, right? You're making right. this irrational decision just out of nowhere. You didn't expect it at all. Yeah, that's purely a, a business decision that you have to make at that point in time. Um, making sure you had the cash flow to cover that. It's not going to interrupt like daily operations. So just know where you're at or at. That's a good point. Know where you're at always financially to make sure it's not going to hurt you all. And then make sure that, you know, that fits your personality and you're, you're okay with that gift and it makes business sense. Then, you know, obviously um, I don't think it would hurt one bit if you can financially afford it. Yeah. And I think that you hit a good point there is like, like that's a that's a cool idea but does that fit your personality and just Mm. also knowing that it's just like if you're you know say at a party and you're feeling pressured to eat the cake but you don't want to eat the cake like don't Mm. eat the cake right like don't give to the charity if it doesn't align with you like honestly people are probably going to forget about it the next day right absolutely now one thing that we were going to like maybe hit on is the gift. If you didn't want to worry about the charitable donation in, in general, and is it a tax deduction? Is it not a tax deduction? Uh, meaning do I itemize and how all that works? You, if you could justify it as a marketing advertising or promotional expense, then it would go on a different line item on your profit and loss. And probably, you know, as long as you can justify it, of it is a marketing expense that might be um, an easier way to get that tax deduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, that's a slippery, you know, slippery slope. So obviously, consult with your tax professional. But you can see some of those donations and gifts land underneath marketing, advertising, or promotion. Right. Like if say, for example, so we have a big project going on for our son's high school prom right now, mm-hmm. there's a committee of parents going, you know, and asking businesses for donations. And a lot of businesses are giving, um, product or gift cards or something sure. of that nature, uh, services, uh, yeah. for, for free, you know, instead of just monetary, uh, gifts. And yep. so, uh, in that case, if it's something where obviously it's going to be a service, it's going to have your logo on it. It's going to be what you do. That's going to be more marketing or advertising than it mm-hmm. is a charitable donation right. really. So again, that's kind of going down the rabbit hole. Um, because like if you gave your time or your service as a service-based business, you can't write that off. You can't write mm-hmm. off your time. So a lot of times you're going to see maybe gift cards or things like that. So it's more promotional. Yeah. Right. I think this is good for people that are the ones asking for these things to understand from a business owner's perspective too. Sure. So yeah, a service-based business, you can't, you know, write off your time or give away your services um, would not um, count as a write-off. Now, if you have a product you know, you can definitely get a deduction for the product, but it's not at like retail. It's like a cost of goods sold though too. Yeah, Yeah. it's basically taking the cost or your inventory portion Mm -hmm. off the balance sheet and, Mm -hmm. you know, then you'd be able to write that off. And I I would say if you're a business owner and all of this balance sheet and profit loss and where it goes on the transaction is getting confusing, the best thing that you can do is keep your uh, invoices, keep your receipts right. 
ha have a notebook or a um, online file where you're writing down these things throughout the year to speak with your accountant about during that time. Mm -hmm. So that yes. way, when you're sitting down during the week before meeting with your accountant, you're going to forget about these things throughout the year. So have something, you know, that you can add on to throughout the year so that when you're ready to meet with your CPA or your accountant or whoever files your, your taxes, you can say, I have these questions already written out. Mm -hmm. I think you got that from me. Cause I always come in with five to 10 different bullet points. And, <laughs> and I always come in hot. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's just really good to know. Um, if you can obviously talk to your tax professional, but if you can make it more marketing promotional, it might make more sense on the profit and loss. Um, then if it's a charitable donation, a gift, I mean, obviously if it's a goodness, your heart and you don't care about the tax write-off, it doesn't really matter. Um, but just know that not every donation, not every, not every gift is actually going to be a tax deduction. Um, so there's more working parts than that. So say we're someone who does actually want to give just out of the goodness of our hearts around the holidays, regardless of if it's a write-off or not, is there a certain like percentage that we could aim for based off of our financial data that like we could easily go and reference so that we're not, you know, we're giving, we understand it's probably not going to be a write-off, but we're not shooting ourselves in the foot either. Yeah. I really hate rule of thumbs because it's so broad. It's so dependent um, on the amount of money that you make, because like, give you an example, if you want to give 20% of your income, but you only make a hundred thousand, you know, that's giving 20,000, that's leaving $80,000 for paying your taxes and supporting your family. Mm -hmm. You might not be able to financially afford that. Mm -hmm. um, or if in you're... addition to saving for retirement, tithing for yeah. church, if that's something that you do, I mean, that's right. a lot. Yeah. Or if you look at, you know, I'm going to give 20% by make $10 million a year. So that's giving 2 million, which is awesome. But you know, it leaves me $8 million left over to pay taxes and support my family. You know, the point is, is maybe if I made 10 million, maybe I could give away 70% of my income. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of all relevant to the amount of income that you make. Uh, when, when you talk percentages, I think that if you are saving 20% of your net income, you are meeting all of your other business income needs, your household income needs, and you still have, uh, you know, 2% left over for just anything, then there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. So if you had to like really hold my, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> push me for a number, I would say, uh, you know, I see a lot of my clients, um, they tithe and, you know, their tithing is 10% typically, and they live very comfortable lives and are able to support their families and give 10% to the church. So, you know, I, I don't see a problem with that 10% number, but you know, you have to feel like what's in your heart and how much you you're wanting to give. Yep. Absolutely. So you talk a lot about charitable donations for tax strategy. Now, this is different than like, say, donating to the American Cancer Association um, or like the Red Cross, right? Or is there a way that somebody could tie both tax strategy and giving to their favorite cause together? Mm. So, yes, they are the same thing. I feel like it just, there's more advanced strategies, mm -hmm. more aggressive strategies out there, but they're all the same thing. 
um, most people think about like cash gifts. So like, it's like after tax money, it's cash and you give a dollar. And if you're in like a 32% tax bracket, you save 32 cents on the dollar. So you would give a dollar, save 32 cents on taxes. And, and See, that's like the analogy that, that's wow. the analogy that I always like to use is, you know, think of it that of paying a dollar to save 30 cents versus oh, yeah. saving a dollar. Yeah. So you're, you're giving away a dollar mm -hmm. uh, and saving, you know, 32 cents on that dollar. Um, and the rest, you know, the 68 cents is gone because you, you gave that, um, to charity. Mm -hmm. So it's not, I just, um, a lot of people I think miss this. It's not a dollar for dollar in this situation. You're not giving a dollar and saving a dollar on taxes, right? You're saving in this example, 32 cents on taxes. And then the rest is just principal or whatever you want to call it given to the charity. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, so that is the common gift is cash. Right. And then as you start working with um, more advanced strategies, you can start talking about like giving appreciated securities. Mm. Um, right. So like maybe 25 years ago, you invested $10,000 in Amazon mm -hmm. and don't quote me on what it'd be worth today. I'm sure we can figure it out, but let's just say it's worth a hundred thousand dollars. Now you had $90,000 of growth uh, of that Amazon stock. Instead of selling that stock and paying taxes on the 90,000 of growth and then giving what's left over, right? In this situation, you can give all $100,000 to the charitable organization and you get a $100,000 you know, tax deduction mm -hmm. and never had to pay taxes on the $90,000 of growth. Yeah. So now you're getting a hundred thousand dollar tax deduction. If you're saving the 32 cents on the dollar, now you're you know saving $32,000 on taxes. And, you know, 25 years ago, you only put $10,000 into the investment. Right. So although that's your money, you're reaping some major benefit of tax savings right. for future, obviously. Wouldn't yep. it be cool to see, like, I invested in Amazon and like, 1998. <laughs> what would it be now? I can probably get that information. <laughs> Let us know. Stay, I'll tuned. Put it in Stay the, tuned. I'll put it in the show notes because I'm it'll just blow your, I know it'll blow your mind. But um, <laughs> another advanced strategy, um, we use a lot of like retired clients when they have to take their required minimum distribution. Mm -hmm. um, they're saying called QCD, Qualified Charitable Donation. And that allows you to give directly to the nonprofit from your retirement account. Mm -hmm. And what that means is you don't have to worry about the standardized standard deduction versus itemization. You just get the tax deduction regardless if you just use the standard deduction. See, so this, it's is the, this is the cool thing about financial planning is it's not a, a once and done thing. I know a lot of people think of the importance of tax planning as you're an entrepreneur and making more money and ensuring right. you're not overpaying in taxes, but like once you do make a decent amount of money and you are looking at retirement and you're looking to make those dollars last as long as possible, you've right. got to get into tax efficiency in mm -hmm. those retirement years. And that's, that's pretty cool. Like tax planning, it's a living, breathing plan right. that's, that's evolving and changing as you evolve and change. Right. So we did this uh, with a client this year that um, the QCD the, went directly to the church mm -hmm. and then still got the standard deduction. And what happened is allowed her income to get underneath the, the Medicare um, surcharges. 
So as you get older, you have Medicare. Well, you have your standard price, but as you make more and more money, the government surcharges you up to almost 500 bucks. It's like 475 or something for the Medicare surcharges. So by keeping your income underneath certain limits, you might be able to save an additional five grand in Medicare surcharges that you're not paying the government. Um, The money was going to go to taxes anyway. So why not give it to the church uh, in that situation? Um, So it was kind of the best of both worlds there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of cool things that you can do with these. Right. Um, Well, and then uh, we have land conservation strategies where you can buy undeveloped land um, and then you have it appraised for its highest and best use but you don't have it developed and and you're able to give its highest and best use to a government organization or a charitable organization, excuse me. Um, And it's not uncommon to get a five to one multiplier on your investment to the tax deduction. So you're getting the tax savings while giving the land to Mm -hmm. somebody else to be able to develop. You're giving that land to them while you're getting the, I guess, benefit of the highest rate of that land. Yep. Yep. To give it to like a land trust to keep the land undeveloped. Yeah. Or conservation. Yeah. Right. And then instead of like, so like, instead of like, you know, giving a dollar of cash to a a charitable organization to get the deduction, you're Mm -hmm. technically given in that scenario, $5 to the charitable and it only costs you a dollar. So there's a ways to maximize the, the charitable deductions um, and that's not necessarily the giving in your heart type of strategy. That's more tax efficiency um, and lowering like your tax bill in that situation. Well, one could argue, especially, you know, coming from a hunting family and, you know, yes. that's, that's, that's pretty cool too, though. The conservation of it. Yeah, no, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yep. All right. Anything else that you wanted to add? I just thought, what a great time of year. I remember getting hit up a lot. I remember going through my you know, period of enlightenment of, oh, here's how much I can actually be giving. Here's why I should be giving it. Here's mm-hmm. how much I can actually give, you know, those kinds of things, which it's pretty cool to be able to have that, I guess, peace of mind, knowing that when it's gone, it's gone. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and everything else is fine there. You can say yes this time and it's not going to affect anything over here. Um, but especially this time of year, there's a lot of charities going on and they're great, but just, it's okay that you can't donate to every single one of them. It's, it's great to have a plan early on in the year. I mean, mimic some of these larger companies where they do plan out during, you know, Mm -hmm. annual or annual or quarterly meetings, what their donations are going to look like for the whole year. Right. And then when you plan for that, then you can strategize to make sure you maximize the tax deduction. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's an entire plan. You just will give and you just will get, you know, bang for your buck uh, on the gift um, for the tax deduction. Absolutely. Well, thank you as always for your brilliant mind and expertise. Thank you. Now let's move into this week's health segment to talk about the importance of sleep on your overall health. As we know, as we age, our health can really be a huge cause for dwindling away at our nest egg. So With that, sleep can help prevent some of these chronic diseases as we age. So here we have sleep expert, Molly Easton. Well, thank you, Molly, so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to have you on. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yes, absolutely. So I consider you a sleep expert. I love this notion about sleep is a skill. Your tagline, your 
area of expertise, where did sleep is a skill come from? Yeah, it really came from kind of solving my own problems in my, in my world with my sleep. And what that looked like was I now think of my life in a three-part series. I think of it as before I went through my real sleep struggles and really, truly one of my like rock bottoms in my life. Um, during that rock bottom and after. And so uh, what that looked like before was a lot of labels and narratives. So I would say things like, I'm a short sleeper. I'm a night owl. It's in my genes. I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, different narratives and those labels that we might come from a fixed um, mentality around, this is just how it is for me. It's kind of like my, you know, cards I was dealt and not much to do about it. Um, So I continued, you know, as a as a kid, it was like that teenage years, wow. college, early twenties, et cetera. And, um, not correlating the more pronounced I got with those habits, then the more pronounced, um, my, some of the things that happened in my own health and well-being. So it looked like ulcer, um, shingles in my twenties, getting more and more anxious, all of these signs that how I was managing my health was not working. And it wasn't until I went through this period of insomnia that completely changed Mm. my life. Um, and went to the doctors, actually, this is a lot of it was while traveling. Um, and so I went to the doctors in Croatia with Google translate and left with sleeping pills. And in that moment realizing, all right, I guess, you know, if I'm going to get up under this, I need to really take this area on, um, and really ensued this quest to understand like, what does it take to get great sleep? Cause I truly felt like I was like losing my mind during that period. Yeah. And oh, yeah. a lot of people in my, in my family had a lot of mental health issues and had gone down the pharmaceutical path. So it was very concerning for me. Like, uh, okay, is this my future now to be reliant on pills to sleep? Um, so it felt like the fire was lit to figure this out. Um, and as I went down the kind of rabbit hole, one of the things that emerged again and again was this conversation around your circadian rhythm and managing kind of your uh, lifestyle in alignment with these rhythms of nature. And so of course, circadian rhythm is one that probably a lot of people can recognize this 24 hour rhythm that we're set up that's in alignment with the earth's rotation, um, which was really kind of automated when we lived outdoors. But now that 90% of people live, um, spend 90% of their days indoors, then we find that we're getting a lot of disconnect from those rhythms, not to mention for women, you're in Freudian rhythm. Um, and then there are other rhythms that can affect that are connected to time. And so when I started to learn about this and then the practical applications of like, what would this look like? I'd really need to manage my life completely different than how I'd been managing it. Um, my whole world kind of turned upside down in a positive way. So I actually started to now be able to restore my sleep, but not only to how it was before, which I shared, wasn't that great. It was actually, Oh wait, I can actually optimize my sleep. I didn't even think that was an option on the table for me. Um, and so then when I started moving into that domain and really getting to experience life as being someone that could reliably sleep well, my whole experience of life transformed and I could not stop talking about it. So what got created was these small groups, which emerged into um, online courses. Uh, We have different programs that we put people through. We have a weekly podcast newsletter. Um, We work with particularly high stakes poker players um, who are a group that is very disconnected from their circadian rhythm functioning and right casinos designed on purpose to confuse the circadian rhythm. Um, So I say all that because this 
this concept of sleep being a skill came from my own breakdowns and thinking that you're either a good sleeper or a bad sleeper. And Mm -hmm. it turned out that that was a fallacy that wasn't true. Um, And it turns out that these are things that we can learn to take on and really improve our results in this area. So I'm very Mm -hmm. confident that anyone listening, no matter where they might be at with their sleep, even if they, you know, identify as good sleeper, bad sleeper, somewhere in between, between, they can absolutely up-level in some way, shape, or form. And it's a matter of getting curious of in this thing that we do a third of our lives on average, 26 years spent asleep. And yet we don't think too much of it quite often. Wow. I love that because so first of all, these labels or things that we tell ourselves, I'm, you know, I just don't need a lot of sleep. I'm not someone that, you know, I'm a night owl or or whatever, whatever labels that we want to put on ourselves for that. Um, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I hear that one, you know, as I'm sure you have heard it a lot. Totally. Um, but I'm so curious, you had mentioned going down the pharmaceutical path and I'm sure that comes up frequently because as, as you're going to inform us here, not getting the sleep that our bodies require leads down a whole bunch of other health issues. And I'm sure a whole bunch of other pharmaceutical paths that we could go down. Right. And so let's talk about just how important sleep is on our long-term health. What are maybe some of those things where maybe individuals don't realize that it could potentially be their sleep that is causing all of these other physical ailments in their life? Yeah, absolutely. So First off, um, we struggle in general just to find a single area of life that's not negatively impacted when our sleep is not performing as it could. So that can look like cardiovascular health, um, cognition, emotional regulation. That can look like um, if we're getting more nuanced on uh, physical health, you know, repair, immunity. And the list is endless, goes on and on of the things that are impacted. Um, and on a plus side, if we are sleeping well, that those things are improved upon. Um, but I do think one noteworthy area that has gotten sleep a bit more press in recent years has been our more recent understanding of what appears to be a correlation between poor sleep and neurodegenerative disorders. So things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia. Um, So some of these ailments that we used to think there wasn't so, so much we could preemptively do in advance. And this turns out to be things you could do decades in advance would be looks that we have a, a enough evidence to support that it appears by prioritizing sleep that you could be um, supporting that you're not setting yourselves up for some of those ailments down the road. So what does that look like? Well, Um, It appears that this glymphatic drainage process that happens on largely the first half of our night, so when we're going through deep sleep, is something that has been impeded or um, that often the way we're running and managing our lives is having it that many people are lobbing off some of the first half of their sleep cycle, which is impacting some of their deep sleep, or they're doing things unbeknownst to them that might be they might still get to bed around the same time, but the quality of that sleep comes into question. And then they're not getting that, um, you know, kind of that restful, restorative, deep sleep on the first half of the night. So 
if you're not getting that deep sleep, then we're not going into this glymphatic drainage process in the same way that we could. What is this glymphatic drainage? It's glymphatic with a G versus lymphatic with an L. Glymphatic is kind of the cleansing process of the brain. So when you're in that deep sleep, your brain kind of shrinks in size and then allows for this fluid to pass through to kind of wipe out this accruing waste that has come about from the process of simply, you know, existing as a human being throughout the course of your day, you're accumulating this waste. And it appears that uh, when you're not able to rinse that out, it's kind of like a super soaking of the brain. If you're not able to do that religiously, then what seems to appear is this plaques, these amyloid beta plaques um, that look very similar. So if you look at brains of people that are dealing with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia seem to have this accumulation of these plaques. And then if you look at a very sleep deprived brain, then we also see, oh, interesting. Now we've also got a lot of those plaques for those type of brains. Is there a correlation? And it does look like we have enough evidence to support that. So there in and of itself, um, is certainly something that you could do preemptively, but also even just when you feel off, I'm sure most people listening at some point had a night of sleep that wasn't great. And you just felt a little off the next day, that cognition, not at your best. And I know, you know, my understanding too, is a lot of listeners, they're entrepreneurial in nature or what have you. And so kind of our emotional function and our cognition is crucial. So even on a short term, if we're not able to function at our best, that's what part of what we do with poker players too, because their decisions, their ability to think mm. critically is can spell a loss of thousands to millions of dollars if we're not really dialing in some of these functions. Um, so these things can be really, really important. And we might just not realize that we're being impacted in such a way. And unfortunately, so many people now have come accustomed to poor sleep and insufficient sleep duration and quality and what have you, that as a result, what they're left with is um, kind of this lowered level of existence throughout their days. And yeah. that's what it feels like to, I mean, when I wasn't sleeping well, I used to, I thought that was just life. I thought that's how you experience yeah. life, not knowing what was available. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, and I can imagine that can lead, like you said earlier to all sorts of other things like anxiety and possibly even depression. And if you're just constantly feeling this lull or fog or just a little less elevated than normal, I can imagine it leads to all sorts of other issues as well. Absolutely. Yes. So many from, from the psychological aspect. And then of course the biological aspect, um, where we're seeing people that are just getting sick more and more frequently allergies mm. where, um, they're dealing with just kind of the inability to recover with, you know, yeah. speed. If we're taking the time to go to the gym, we want to be able to actually reap the benefits of those things. And just all of that is interconnected with our ability to properly restore each night. Now, obviously there's going to be times in our lives where we're going to be busier than others, right? Like maybe we have a big launch or we're, you know, just going through the early entrepreneurial phases of owning a business or just some major planning phase in life where we're just going to get a little bit less sleep. Um, you know, maybe we've just had a baby, right? Everybody knows that that's going to cause us a little less sleep than normal, but those times typically pass um, but what about those chronic, I guess, um, sleepers that, that struggle? What are some things that they could start 
doing some habits they could start building in their lives to really try to get a better, uh, I guess, habit on sleep, a better routine established. You know, um, I'm sure alcohol plays a role. I'm sure diet, exercise, lifestyle overall plays a role. What are some simple things that people could implement in their lives today that they could start seeing an improvement in their sleep for tomorrow? Yeah. Great question. So, um, if you get nothing else out of all of this, then I would say the most important takeaway is that consistency is sleep's best friend. So ways in which you can bring about a level of consistency, even in the face of difficult nights. So meaning for those people that are dealing with kind of chronic sleep disturbances, sleep um, issues. So say if they identify as being going through periods of insomnia, so difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, early morning awakenings. Um, oh, I even morning. thought of another one really quick yeah. is women going through, you know, I'm 40 now. So like of course. going through the menopause phase and, and that, you know, brings a whole slew of sleep disruptions. I wanted to add that one in there too. <laughs> totally. I mean, we're seeing that s signs and symptoms of perimenopause, um, mm -hmm. are now reported at 35, mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. over. So, you know, there's times in which, so from 35 to stretching into for different people into 55 and beyond what have you, um, this whole stretch of time that can vary for uh, different women, but that there can be a long period of time where our hormones are acting in ways that are new to us and often resulting in poor sleep in some way, shape or form. Um, so there's many of these buckets of reasons why people, they might, you might be listening and be like, well, I want to sleep. It's not like I'm actively avoiding sleep or something. Cause there right. are those groups that, right. that just, you know, it just hasn't been a priority. And we thought sure. we could kind of take away some of the total sleep and it won't be that big of a problem. There is that group. And then it's, that's about kind of just prioritizing sleep and, you know, setting them up for success. But then there's this other group that really wants to get great sleep. And it feels like they're doing everything they're trying, um, and not getting those results. And that can be so, so frustrating. So, um, so that can, and certainly that can get more layered and this can absolutely involve the skill set piece where we might want to make sure that, well, not even might, we absolutely want to make sure that we're being clear on things like hormone mapping, understanding where our hormones are at different points of our cycle and things that we might want to take action in different ways. And we would maybe, you know, at different points in our life. So it can get layered, but as far as the most simple piece of this is that for just about everyone, we want to create a consistent schedule by which then the body can start to have very clear circadian cues. So meaning, um, the most simple example is a consistent wake up time seven days a week. Mm. Now that can sound so boring, but what we see for a lot of people and a lot of people have a blind spot where they'll say, Oh, I'm pretty consistent. And then we have everyone wearing aura rings. So then when they do, Oh, thanks. So when they do get on, um, when we pull up their stats, what ends up happening is then we see that, oh, they're consistent, you know, five days throughout the week. And then the weekends come or they had that really rough night. And so now they're going to sleep in a little bit later 
or they're going to take really long naps to try to make up for it. And a lot of it can make a lot of logical sense because we would say, well, I slept horribly at the most loving thing I could do for my body would be to get more sleep. And that makes sense in our brains, but the long-term effects of that can actually be more harmful. So meaning that we want to ideally support that we're keeping that consistency over um, kind of the band-aid approach. So what that would look like is say you usually wake up at 7 a.m. seven days a week. Well, then one night you really were, you had a bunch of wake-ups, you couldn't fall back asleep or kids or whatever. Um, so we want to then still maintain largely around the same wake up plus or minus around 30 minutes or so. Um, and that allows us to have that anchoring system so that you're still having a strong circadian, um, cortisol pulse on the first half of your day, and then a strong melatonin pulse on the end of your day. So we find that that piece is really, really crucial because if you end up sleeping in or having these really long naps that's hitting at your sleep drive. So while that might help or feel like it's going to help on the, uh, you know, short term on the long term, that's going to throw off the time by which you're sleepy that night. And mm. now you're struggling to fall asleep. And now you might feel like, Oh, do I need medication? Do I need something? And that's where we start to have these dysfunctional, um, relationships with our sleep wake drive. So, bare minimum is just that consistency seven days a week. Uh, and then the second piece to this is that when you wake up in the morning, our goal for you is to get up and out. So we want to get up and outside physically so that we're getting the bright lights in our eyes. You know, if, if anyone sees this video, I have a bunch of windows behind me, but if I was to rest on my laurels and not go outside and just think, well, I've got all these windows. So, you know, the light will come through. Um, then we find in certain studies that it takes anywhere for 50 to a hundred times longer to reset oh, wow. your master clock. If you're getting that light from behind a window, just because the window uh, impacts the quality of our full spectrum light. So we do need to physically get outside and even just a few minutes to begin can be a win for people and ideally longer, the better, um, and actually counter to what a lot of people might think, uh, in the winter, we, while it's cold, we want to actually stay a, a little bit longer because the sun is weaker, especially in these Northern latitude locations. Um, so we want that get up at around the same time, seven days a week and get out at around the same time, seven days a week, uh, to really strongly activate those strong wake sleep cycles. So your wake is now always at around the same time. And then your sleep is always at around the same time because it is tethered to when you wake up and get your first really bright shot of light is going to almost create this invisible countdown clock by which it will tell you when you're going to get sleepy later on into the evening. If you delay that bright light exposure, you're not going to get sleepy till later. So that's going to be problematic. And that's when you have to, you know, pull out all the apps to meditate and, you know, relax yourself when really we shouldn't need to effort so much to sleep. Now, what about people that, and, and so a lot of times entrepreneurs, it's not that big of a deal because you can kind of make your own schedule 
Maybe. What about, you know, individuals that are like me, for example, I come into my office and I'm pretty much in here until like, it's almost like dark and then dark. Right. And so like school teachers, right. I mean, they're, they're inside. And a lot of times it's, it's getting, it's not getting light out until seven 30, eight o'clock. It's getting dark at five o'clock. It's, it's dark and then dark again. Is there anything that we can supplement or do in the winter time when we really don't have the option to go outside when we want to. Yeah, really good point. And I'll also put in for entrepreneurs, oddly, um, because entrepreneurs, and I'm in that boat too, can make our own schedule. Um, we actually can often find that they can struggle because that's where that uh, inconsistency can sprout because, because they can make their own schedule because they can just, you know, move out the call till later or whatever they need to do. Um, that often they can have the, the breeding grounds for inconsistency. Um, so it's that catch and, you know, plus and minus with the ability to make their own schedule. So they're an interesting group. And to your point, then the group that then is going into, uh, whatever their office, their classroom their what have you. Um, and now they're not being exposed to those cycles. Yeah. So, um, a couple of things that can be done one, I mean, with my poker players, they are in places that are designed on purpose to confuse the circadian rhythm, like casinos, no windows at all, no clocks, tons of, you know, stimuli, bright lights, slot machines, dopamine hits galore, all that stuff. Um, which I think many of us are not too far off from that at this point, because we're spending so much time indoors. We have our phones and our laptops and all the fun stimuli, and we don't have as much of that access to the outdoor environment. So Um, For everyone, including people that are finding themselves not even seeing the rhythms of nature, I would still recommend that throughout the course of their day that they prioritize sun breaks. So the same way, you know, our smokers back in the day would always figure out a way to get outside to get a quick (laughs) smoke break, right? They'd somehow they figured it out. So we want to prioritize in the same way that we always get ourselves outside, even for a few minutes, because the kind of quantum effect of this are immense that this can really um, help support your body in sampling the environment because that's what it's doing all throughout the course of the day to get a sense of what time it is and what to be doing when because it's not just a, a nice to have but it turns out that um, these clocks, so this is all connected to your super chiasmatic nucleus in your brain, that it's a master choreographer to all these peripheral clocks in every cell and organ in your body. So trillions of clocks that also communicate, you know, with your organs so that the organs can stay on their own schedule. Um, and cellular processes can occur. And all of this has a timetable attached that's different in different arenas of the body. So there's a lot of complicated things that are going on here. And the more that we can help inform the body of what time it is and what to be doing when that can support. Um, so some things that we can do though, if we're really struggling to have cues from the outdoor environment are to supplement, um, indoors. So there is a reason that like things like sad lamps and what have you have become more popularized, uh, because that can help serve as that bright shot of light, even if you are really stuck behind your, you know, desk or what have you. Um, so having those available, although if possible, if you can balance those with red light, that can be helpful because in nature, we would never be exposed to that much blue light without infrared light also being present. So that can help kind of balance some of the, um, effects of that, but, um, you can supplement like that. And then what we want is to have our days 
much brighter than the average person is living and our nights much darker. The numbers being that the average person is indoors and they're experiencing around a hundred times too dim of lighting on average than it would have been if outside and on average at night, a hundred times too bright. So that's a big deal. And that's even as the brightest moonlit evenings. Um, so because we've turned things upside down, then what can you do on the practical side of things? get things as bright as you possibly can by day. And then your nights as dark as possibly can. So really this dim to darkness and the yeah. nights would then have the red tone, no blue lights, um, at all. So that would be near just your standard, like light bulbs that most of us would have. Those are very blue rich. So you really want to get, and this can be affordable, like $10 bulbs or what have you. Yeah. Um, well, I should say you can get certain packs and what have you, uh, but you can pretty affordably switch out some of these bulbs. And so that they're more red and amber Cued. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Basically just do your best, do the best that you can. Yeah. And get curious too, because there's so much that you can learn because we're just talking so far on the consistency and light piece, but then you can get into temperature timing, meal timing, exercise timing, thought yeah. timing, drug timing. So I know there's like a hundred things that I have. I want to still ask you, but <laughs> right. There's so many things and it's so really yeah. becomes a lifestyle, but it begins with the curiosity and the knowledge yeah. that sleep is a skill. Yeah. Well, I hope that someday you and I can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation because I find you very interesting. So well, right back so at much. you. Well, thank oh. you. Well, thank well, you so much for being on today. Really appreciate you bringing your knowledge and your time. Can't wait to get this out for everybody to hear. Oh, uh, well, thank you so much. And thank you for the work that you do. And thanks for the opportunity to share this message for me. It truly is my mission on the planet to help support people in this journey. I think it's one of the best ways that we can support our mental health, our physical health, or, you know, the experience of life is so transformed when we really get this area dialed in. I absolutely agree. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fit Wealth You. Don't miss out on the opportunity to make your financial dreams a reality. Join us every week for actionable insight that could transform your wealth and your life. May you build your wealth empire and stay fit too. This is Fit Wealth You. This presentation has been provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or investment advice or a recommendation of any particular security or strategy. The investment strategy and themes discussed herein may be unsuitable for investors depending on their specific investment objectives and financial situation. Information obtained from third-party sources is believed to be reliable, though its accuracy is not guaranteed. Opinions expressed in this commentary reflect subjective judgments of the author based on conditions at the time of the publication and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Fit Wealth View is brought to you by Fit Wealth Advisors. Fit Wealth Advisors is an investment advisor registered under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply any level of skill or training. The oral and written communications of an advisor provide you with information about which you determine to hire or retain an advisor. For more information, please visit advisorinfo.sec.gov and search for our firm name.